The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. No mai, hoki mai, kia the Fold. E mihine, ko Duncan Grieve talking uh, My guest today is Jim Mather, who, man, he's he's a lot of things. Uh, I'm, I'm, I was really excited about this one and, and have wanted to have Jim on the podcast for a while. He comes as a guest of our sponsor, O Media, so I'm really grateful to them for facilitating that. Uh, so Jim has had this kind of extraordinary career. There's absolutely no one like him in media. Uh, you know, he had six years in the military, chartered accountant, so has that bearing, has the kind of discipline and focus that you would associate with that with that kind of background and yet has a huge passion for media and, and for journalism in particular. And so was sort of drawn into that world. And I think that's why he's so respected and has, has thrived in it is because there are naturally in this business a lot of sort of chaotic, uh, highly strung, wound pretty tight personalities in it. And you need that. That's why this thing kind of crackles and pops. But it also really requires someone to kind of be able to put that into a logical order and protect what needs protecting but also restrain what what can actually endanger the whole enterprise and you can just sort of feel radiating out of Jim that he he is just really really well uh, designed you know, to, to resolve those tensions I suppose so he was the the second chief executive of Maori television for Kata Maori and came into the role when it was in a really perilous state. It had a disastrous uh, CE and, and John Davy who had forged his CV and ended up, I think, going to prison out the back of that. And and it was just a very fledgling thing. Like it, it you know, I think it's not an exaggeration to say that had he not done such a great job. Um, as chief executive of that organisation, it may not have survived um, and, and thrived the way it has. So we talk a lot about those, those early days and and how you resolve the the tensions that are kind of natural and specific to uh, a Māori media organisation, and then traverse into his his role in governance, particularly uh, with, with with RNZ, and which you know he. he came on board as chair in 2018. So he's been there for five years and these have not been five chill years for RNZ by any means. And if you listen to Gavin Morris's uh, podcast a few weeks ago where we, where he talks about uh, the ABC's journey, I think you know a lot of what you hear Jim talking about aspiring to do is what Gavin achieved, but it just hasn't been easy. Basically, the between the government and some very loud and opinionated stakeholders 
and COVID and a whole bunch of things, RNZ really has been kind of had its hand tied, hands tied behind its back in terms of how it can approach those things. So those are the kind of the two big themes of, of the podcast. We also talk about the media he consumed going up and how the media environment has changed over the decades that he has been first observing it and then working in and around it. So it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting part, I think. I always love talking to people who've been around, seen and done some things and can reflect on all that, and this is absolutely one of those. So this is Jim Mather, chair of RNZ on the fold. Tēnākwe, uh, Jim, and welcome to The Fold. Tēnākwe, Duncan, tino harukoro ki te haramai ki konei. Very happy to be here. Kia ora. I wonder if you could start by, by explaining how you came to be involved in the media. Were you always an avid consumer of it growing up? I was an avid consumer of it, and that was probably the extent of my uh, expertise. But I was very fortunate uh, in that I had the opportunity in 2004 to um, put my uh, application forward for the uh, chief executive role at um, what was then referred to as Māori Television, now Fakata Māori. And um, and uh, very surprisingly, I went through the process and, and was selected as their uh, foundation chief executive. I mean, and I want to, to sort of drill into that because it's a really interesting mm. institution and also one which, you know, now like like all of the, the sort of traditional media has has challenges and opportunities in front of it. But the thing that, that is interesting to me is why, with, with your background in, in the military and, and as a chartered accountant, you know, it's the, those are very kind of precise, orderly, uh, you know, institutions or professions, and media is by its very nature much more chaotic. I just wondered, you know, I, I sort of you would profile like someone who would look at it and go, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. But um, but but you you sort of dove right in. What 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 drew you to that institution at that time? Well, I, um, if I can go back uh, to my childhood, Duncan, I, I uh, grew up with my grandparents for a period of time in a small town called Titeko. Uh, which is between Whakatane and Kaurau, and they were part of that generation that um, really were challenged by the times that they lived in. And I can remember my koro, my grandfather, um, once when I was on leave from the military, I went to visit him, and he uh, uh, told me that he was so uplifted uh, by what he had just seen on um, TV, and, and this was 1983, and so I inquired what it was, and he talked about how a new program called Takarere had just started. And for five minutes, he looked, listened to a young gentleman called Derek Fox talk in Te Reo Māori about the current affairs of the day. And he was just so um, astounded that um, such a thing could occur in New Zealand, and um, particularly on primetime television. And so I also held that with me, um, the... the low expectation that he had, but the high uh, sense of um, uh, aroha uh, that had uh, come through uh, just hearing our language and our culture being uh, referred to. And so um, I often thought about what he and his generation would think about a a Māori television uh, channel channels dedicated to um, kaupapa Māori themes and um, and came to the conclusion he had been completely blown away by it all. And um, so that was part of my motivation for putting my my application forward. But um, I, I 
uh, definitely was a left-field candidate that probably wasn't expected to to um, go through the process, let alone be successful. But going back to your question about um, my background at that time, I'd uh, spent six years in the military, uh, learned a lot about leadership from a lot of um, veteran campaigners. Uh, I'd been an, an accountant and a general manager in the private sector. And I think the context of Māori television in 2004 was they were in quite a dysfunctional state. Uh, they had um, uh, quite a controversy around uh, the appointment of John Davey, um, at, who uh, was subsequently um, um, terminated due to issues with his uh, CV, as we probably um, all remember. And also there was an element of um, uh, lack of uh, discipline and and sense of direction within the organisation. So that's probably why I was considered and um, and as somebody who could possibly bring a much clearer sense of kotahitanga uh, or unity and, and direction to the organisation. So when you come into um, Whakata Māori, the, the John Davey thing has been a huge national news story. Uh, it's a fragile and fledgling organisation, you know, which, you know, unavoidably was part of the news itself um, in terms of the John Davey affair. How did you go about kind of establishing what its function and role and relationship with its audience was and, and what was the sort of the, the feeling in those rooms at the time? At that time, uh, 2004, um, Māori television was in quite a tenuous state. The uh, the concern about it was that uh, it would not be able to uh, function independently. There was discussion about uh, folding it into uh, TVNZ and there was a, a clear set of um, um, incompatible dynamics within um, Māori television. Basically, uh, you had a large cohort of, of young Māori who had a strong uh, level of activism for the language and and um, uh, culture. Um, my wife, Annabelle, um, was uh, definitely part of that um, group or, and, um, and at that time. And there was also... A, a group of um, more experienced broadcasters that had come through the ranks at TVNZ. Uh, you also, along with those groups, had the um, uh, the Māori language um, proponents who saw Māori television having the sole purpose of broadcasting programming in Te Reo Māori and, and uh, being quite exclusive to Māori themselves. And in the background was a group of Komato queer and um, um, and Kroa that um, had, had uh, fought um, for the um, uh, the establishment of Maori television. So there's a, a lot of interesting dynamics, and um, there there wasn't a lot of um, uh, professional management expertise, which is probably why I was appointed to the role. And um, what occurred to make sure that Māori Television launched, because there had been several delays in its launch, was that they brought in an experienced Māori businessman called Wayne Walden, who'd run Farmer's Deck and done very well there, and a board of 
um, other professionals such as Gary Muriwa, who was the chief executive of the Institute of Chartered Accountants. And and they said, well, first and foremost, we've got a business that we need to set up and structure and, and get right. Uh, so obviously my background aligned with, with that um, uh, trajectory. And so uh, the big challenge was um, giving everybody a sense of um, um, unity and and uh, kotahitanga, unified sense of purpose. And to that end, uh, what I did recognise when I arrived was that, and I wasn't um, uh, skilled in any way in te reo Māori, so I didn't have a strong level of credibility with the Māori language proponents. I um, also um, had zero uh, background in media, apart from consuming a lot of it and uh, having my own views. And so the the challenge was um, recognising that everybody wanted uh, Māori television to succeed, but there was a whole disparate set of um, views about what the best pathway was. Um, so how that all got reconciled uh, was that we had a group of elders um, called a Kone Hira Komatu, a council of elders, and one of um, the leaders on that um, uh, council was a gentleman called uh, Hurangi Waikerepuru, and Hurangi had literally mortgaged his house uh, to challenge the New Zealand government about the um, uh, the recognition of Te Reo Māori as a taonga, which um, wasn't um, confirmed by the New Zealand government, so he took a court case to the Privy Council in uh, England and um, and financed it um, uh, personally, along with uh, others in a group called Ngā Kaifakapumo o Te Reo Māori, uh, the strong supporters of the Māori language. So it was a group of Māori language activists that um, really challenged the government and the Privy Council's ruling was that um, they encouraged New Zealand government to revisit the status of Te Reo Māori, which eventually led to Māori television being established. So, so I invited Huirangi to... Um, talk to the people of Māori television and to remind them of the challenges that his generation had gone through. And he said in no uncertain terms, we worked hard for this to happen. Don't stuff it up with your own agendas and um, be focused on what we're trying to do here, which was to um, uh, to be a world-class Indigenous um, broadcaster and recognising we weren't doing something um, uh, unique um, just down here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, but it was part of a worldwide movement of revitalisation of Indigenous languages. So, so um, Hurangi, I think, can also be credited to to um, uh, giving everybody a a, a a strong sense of uh, unity and um, direction. And that's one of the beauties of of television in some respects is that by the very nature of just lining up different programs, you can actually not on any individual program, but over the course of programming out a, a day, a week, a month, a year, represent different perspectives um, or different approaches to, to the same issues, right? One of the things that, that has sort of, you know, strikes me in some respects is, and, and is, you know, it feels like it's perpetually a, a tension is, is how you how you practice journalism at an organisation like Fakata Māori where, you know, you have a part of the, the fundamental role is revitalization of the language and, and giving an alternate perspective on Te Ao Māori. But there's, there's also journalism and has, there's been some fantastic journalism, um, some done by, by Annabelle, um, which 
uh, you know, will naturally come into conflict with um, some people within those those worlds. You know, how how did you, coming from the outside, sort of manage that that, that some of those tensions that exist? Along with being appointed um, chief executive, I also had the uh, lofty title of editor-in-chief, and I didn't quite understand, or I didn't quite understand at that time what it actually meant or what the responsibilities were. But I, I took journalism very seriously. Um, I'm a believer that um, holding power to account and giving voice to those that don't have a loud hailer who are often from the underserved parts of our communities is, is critically important important and an important part of the role of media. And so I, I was very respectful of, of the profession of journalism and felt that um, uh, it was a critical part of the fabric of our society. And also uh, it was uh, incumbent upon journalists to challenge the status quo and to explore uh, the underlying rationale for decisions made and to um, seek out the actual truth, and and so I was very aligned with um, those um, journalistic ethics, and uh, to that end, I, I also felt that um, uh, we were obligated to also apply those standards um, to our own Māori institutions and entities, and hold our own people um, uh, to account um, to their various um, constituents. And so uh, one of the programmes I was um, most proud of during my time at Māori Television was uh, Native Affairs, which um, was quite groundbreaking in many ways. Uh, even the title was quite controversial when, uh, when we were thinking through what the name of the programme would be. And uh, to that end, the... Um, uh, the investigative journalism element was really quite important and there were some uh, great stories that came to the fore that, that made uh, our people, um, Māori, reflect on the way our important institutions were being led and question um, uh, some aspects of um, uh, the uh, leadership styles or models that were being employed. But it also attracted the interest of um, mainstream um, New Zealand into um, seeing that uh, we were prepared to hold ourselves accountable. So, so um, journalism, um, I, I uh, believe then and still do, uh, is a critical part of um, uh, any democracy and and the, the way that our um, communities inject more um, equity into the way um, things are done. Did, did you find, you know, because there would be, some of those institutions might not like being investigated. Mm. Um, and I can think of some examples of that uh, and might have viewed the very fact of it happening within Māori television as, as something which could create issues with mm. them outside of Te Ao Māori and, and in terms of the way that they interact with um, broader parts of New Zealand society. How, how you know... How did you go about sort of protecting? Because you need to create an environment where that kind of journalism can be practiced with mm. integrity and and allow them to operate with the mm. kind of fearlessness that that Annabelle and, and Mihi were sort of you mm. know, remain um, famous for. Like you know, for for you as editor in chief, mm. acting as a bulwark between um, mm. those institutions and and that you know, a small, fierce team, you know, mm. how did you kind of go about that and, and how important was that, do you think, over the, that period? 
Well, I think it was critical to have the trust and confidence of the journalists that they were going to be allowed to um, practice their profession uh, unimpeded uh, in terms of um, uh, the journalistic integrity being being um, maintained throughout. I was very fortunate that in the legislation for the Māori Television Service, there was a a clause on editorial independence, and so uh, politicians of the day, uh, even the boards, um, were. Um, are constrained from um, delving into editorial decision uh, decisions that were made, and so um, my statement to our our journalists was that uh, you will have the air cover you need to to undertake the um, the investigations that are are required of our institutions, and there was a lot of pushback um, from the board, um, uh, many of whom. Um, uh, struggled with the integration of journalism with Tikanga Māori, and 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 I, on a number of occasions, uh, found myself having to um, uh, defend the the importance of journalism. Uh, also, uh, within Te Ao Māori, there's a concept called rangatira, kite rangatira, chiefs to chiefs, and so. Um, many senior rangatira within Te Ao Māori felt that um, they could um, just go directly to the board and get things um, uh, modified in a way that aligned with their views. And so um, I was very um, clear about uh, that not being appropriate and um, made myself unpopular in some quarters. But it's um, not a popularity contest. It's about getting the the, the right results and for those that are um, are seeking to expose the truth or to um, uh, um, provide insights into it, it's important they know that um, a, their um, indigenous television media organisation is is going to demonstrate courage when required. The Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa, with over 4,000 out-of-home advertising sites nationwide across both street furniture and retail centres. I'm super grateful to O Media for enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. And that leads quite well into the sort of next phase of your career, which was very much around governance. And I feel like what you're describing in some ways is a crash course in how to mm. properly defend the the appropriate way um, for governance to be practised within media, which you know, I'm sure has has uh, been been helpful with mm. with your role as, as chair of RNZ, for example. What 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 led you there, and and how has your experience um, with with Māori Television helped um, helped you in in this that that sphere that you you now move in fairly exclusively now? The um, 
Māori television experience really embedded a, a love within me for uh, media and the importance of media, uh, particularly Indigenous and public media. And so I, I carried that through um, with me during my time. I went from Māori television after nine years as CEO to Te Wānanga o Aotearoa Nation's um, second largest tertiary institution and and was there for five years and enjoyed many aspects of the uh, tertiary education sector. However, um, my primary um, uh, passion uh, was in media, so I was very pleased um, that when I concluded my um, modest executive career in uh, 2018 that I was uh, given the opportunity to to apply for the um, RNZ chair role. And, um, and once again, uh, like the Māori television experience, I was very um, pleasantly surprised to go through that successfully and, and be appointed. I believe that um, uh, governance is a realm that is very supportive of um, uh, chief executives um, transitioning and uh, to the other side of the board table because uh, they tend to have uh, seen um, uh, governance in all shapes and sizes and and, and good governance and, and not so good governance or if you're unfortunate, some terrible governance. And so you sort of take those experiences uh, um, into your own governance career and you've got uh, much more empathy and insights to the challenges that... Um, uh, management teams have. So it was a natural transition, if I could just say that, um, Duncan. And, and um, But I uh, love the concept of going to uh, Te Reo or Aotearoa Radio New Zealand, finding out um, more about how a, a public um, uh, media entity that was moving into digital in a significant way operated and, um, and just coming back into um, that sphere. So um, it, it's been an interesting interesting and insightful ride. I mean, it's interesting that, that you note that because, you know, and this exists as a challenge for public media in New Zealand and obviously the, the media merger, which has just been abandoned, was, was part of the proposed solution to it. But, you know, one of the, part of the mandate that allows public media to exist is this idea that it is for everybody. Mm. But which was a relatively simple thing if you had a frequency or a channel um, 20 or so years ago. Now it's incredibly complex. And you know, one of the roles of a board, perhaps one of its most important roles, is kind of setting strategic direction and allowing it to allowing an organisation to navigate through um, changing environments. How, how have you found that role and, and how, how would you judge the success of an or you know of RNZ in in turning to kind of basically maintaining its 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 existing work streams and audiences and programming while also attempting to uh, create opportunities for different generations and demographics of uh, New Zealander to to engage with its content and its purpose. Mm. Uh, RNZ is um, uh, 98 years um, uh, old uh, this year and uh, it was um, launched in conjunction with a um, AM transmitter tower being you know, unveiled by Michael Joseph Savage in 1925 in Titahi Bay. And I only mention that because uh, heritage and history and whakapapa is really important. So um, in two years, we're going to be celebrating the uh, centenary of, of RNZ 
And to me, it's really important to um, think that your best days are still ahead of you and and to uh, reflect on you know what has worked very well, but to realise you've got to adapt and you've got to change. And, and that brings me to my key point that relevance is really important. Um, uh, public media needs to be relevant uh, to be effective. And, and I, I challenge um, my colleagues at RNZ about our name, Radio New Zealand. And for us to, um, similar to TVNZ, I suppose, Television New Zealand, to be um, true to that, we've actually got to be relevant to as many New Zealanders as, as possible and in, in that process, try and endeavour to create relationships and, and ideally lifelong relationships with all New Zealanders where they come to RNZ um, for their range of um, media requirements. And so the the um, simple mantra I have and other board members have is that uh, RNZ um, needs to be as relevant for the uh, factory worker living in Ōtara as it does for the retired public servant living in Kilburnie. So that, that's a big challenge. That's a big challenge. It, it certainly is, particularly when your audience has been traditionally uh, conservative, older, and very um, Wellington-centric. And so um, uh, that's what we're working on, um, making ourselves um, more relevant to what's termed underserved communities, our many um, our ethnic communities, particularly our, our Māori and um, uh, Pacifica communities as well, but it's not just about ethnicity; it's about um, our demographics and age ranges as well. And um, and it's uh, most board members would see the conundrum here. You know, you get a, a group of typically fifty plus um, um, uh, age, and age um, New Zealanders are talking about you know what young audiences want. We wouldn't have a clue. It's been a long time since we were young people. And um, so you've really got to have more diversity on your boards, more more voices that can be heard and the like. So um, so I think there's some interesting challenges because uh, we want to uh, be relevant to as many New Zealanders as possible. But the reality is um, uh, no one media organisation can be everything to everyone. And, and that's why you need a... a, um, a a range of um, media options. So, um, uh, you know, I, I'm very uh, respectful of um, uh, what you and the team have done here at the spin-off because I know that there's a a specific um, uh, audience that um, uh, is completely aligned with the um, content and products and services that, that you're um, producing. And I think, um, you know, we need to look at, at the media ecosystem as being... Um, a range of um, providers that can meet specific um, needs and and uh, being relevant. It's interesting, right? Because you know the, what you describe is mm. absolutely the, the mm. challenge for RNZ. And I had uh, Gavin Morris, who was the director of news and innovation at mm. the ABC, really and, and drove a lot of, of change there. And one of the things that he, you know, was was absolutely unapologetic about was that part of digitally transforming an organisation, a public media institution like the ABC or, or RNZ is actually saying goodbye to some things that you mm. love to do and that your audience might love, mm. but that just, you can't do everything. And that, mm. that sense of having to sacrifice those things and take the blast is, is part of it. But RNZ is really 
interesting and in some ways is constrained by the fact that it, it has tried to do things. And sometimes mm-hmm. I think we forget that there was an attempt to to move from RNZ Concert and make that into a more youth-focused brand, which has now mm-hmm. become Tahi, but mm-hmm. without a, the, a sort of centrifying force, it's always going to struggle. Um, so that, that idea that you could meet both that sort of conservative, older Wellingtonian and the um, factory worker from Otara, do you do you believe that the organisation as of today, you know, March twenty twenty three, is is achieving that? And 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 if not, how confident are you that you know when you next try and make a change that you'll be political because the political will mm. has to be there, you know, mm. which is what what ultimately quashed the, mm. the RNZ concert move. Yeah, I, th- I think um, to use that overused metaphor, it's a journey. And um, and we're we're on that journeys, and so um, acknowledging that we haven't arrived at the destination we want to be at in terms of being relevant to non-traditional audiences, and so that's really important for us, Duncan, to um, um, not lose sight of of the the wider strategy that um, uh, we are trying to effectively implement, uh, because um, the status quo. Is, is not sustainable um, and uh, it's um, the business models for, for for many media organizations are rapidly changing because um, the expectations are changing around us and and um, you know 10 years ago um, very few of us knew what a streaming service was and now we probably subscribe to two three or more type thing and and um, and certainly um, we know from talking to our um, are very entitled uh, children in this day and age that um, they have no concept of what um, appointment viewing is um, uh, for, for the most part and certainly um, um, have no idea what being home at 7 o'clock um, to watch the, the news and, and to be updated on what's happened in the world. You know, it, it's just a concept that they find completely foreign. So so I think um, uh, uh, those organisations that can adapt and adapt effectively are going to um, survive and prosper. Those that don't are going to struggle. And um, so taking that um, mantra back to ONZ, we know we need to adapt. And and, um, uh, having a largely older um, conservative uh, audience, um, whilst we're hugely respectful and and, um, and appreciative of that um, level of support, we know that um, we've got to to um, adapt to the changing requirements of of um, uh, other sectors of our our society. I mean, in, in some respects, does the clarity of the merger being put in the ground uh, a month or so ago at least give you a, a sense of purpose that and the and a and a knowledge that this is your job and no one else's mm. now like you know what was your perspective on the merger mm. and and you know how how fast do you think because that obviously naturally pauses yeah. or distracts um work on strategy development and execution you know now that that you know were you in favor of it and now that it's gone you know do do you think that RNZ can perhaps move more quickly to to address some of those absences that you're describing? Hmm. Perhaps if I start by responding to your, your question, Duncan, with a Māori proverb or whakatauki, which um, uh, is um, ka mate kainga tahi, 
kaora kaingarua, uh, which basically means when the first house falls, you move on to the next one. So um, in um, um, tikanga Māori, there isn't a lot of time spent dwelling on things that have fallen by the wayside. You just need to um, uh, get on with things and, and move on to uh, the next um, uh, iteration um, of uh, what you're um, attempting to achieve. So for us, um, uh, uh, the Board of RNZ, Senior Management, uh, we are very committed to public media and we saw uh, that the proposed public me- new public media entity encapsulated those um, um, uh, important elements of, of public media, um, high-quality journalism, uh, focus on, on local reporting, um, holding power to account and so on and so forth. And and so it was a natural um, uh, um, opportunity for us um, to to uh, see that this could be, in terms of that uh, constant adaption, that could be a, a significant and important next step in, in the development of um, uh, Radio New Zealand. And so uh, now that it, um, the decision has been made not to proceed with it, um, our view is um, there was a lot of important insights and um, uh, things that were identified about collaboration with TVNZ and and, and private media, and uh, how do we make it work? Even though um, the the uh, much broader public media strategy um, was dis- discontinued, uh, what are the things that we can take from that and uh, t- to make? Um, RNZ more relevant and and um, and a much stronger public media entity and and that's um, where our focus is just looking through you know what were the key learnings from that whole exercise and it was um, something that um, went over several years right uh, starting from a the business case and 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 I think the um, the logical business reasons were lost in the whole process and and well they weren't as strongly articulated as they um, could have been because there were some very strong business reasons for doing this and it wasn't just about um, um, esoteric public media uh, aspirations. But um, all of that said, um, uh, we are where we are and we're, we're now moving on to building the next um, whare. <clears throat> so j- just finally on on that point, the one of the things that, you know, and I mentioned this before, but that, you know, part, part of the, the you know, everyone pays for public media, mm-hmm. therefore everyone should feel like there is public media for them. And sometimes I think that older conservative audience, mm-hmm. because they're being well served, can can sort of feel like, well, it's there if anyone else wants it, mm-hmm. which I've always, I think, you know, as we move into this era where people are increasingly sort of selecting their own media um, and and particularly younger audiences that you know that you're know, describing your children's habits if they're anything like mine they, the the total quantity of media which is created here um, in Aotearoa versus made from anywhere else I just think that the the you know you could never know the ratios but you could guess and mm-hmm. it would be quite scary do you believe that that it is Sort of existing, you know, that this is actually an existentially important question. That that un- unless you can show and prove that that those bigger, diverse audiences are actively consuming RNZ's content, that 
that some of the mandate that allows mm-hmm. you to exist, that, that bond between audience, public and, and the state, that, uh, that that starts to become unstable if over a prolonged period of time you, you cannot create work which, which impacts them and is, and is actively consumed? Yeah, absolutely. We, um, uh, audiences are paramount, obviously, and and um, to be able to demonstrate um, the value that that you um, provide based on the investment that's been made, you, you've got to be able to uh, reach um, significant audiences. If you're a national media uh, entity like um, uh, RNZ, uh, however, I, I will. Um, um, state that I've not been um, someone even in my executive media career that slavishly um, looked at ratings and and saw that as the um, key success measurement. Um, And uh, often I say to my colleagues at RNZ, um, what I'm most focused on is the um, the, um, uh, the trust metric. Uh, How uh, much are we trusted by our fellow New Zealanders? Um, do they see us as a trusted source of um, uh, news, current affairs, and and um, and journalism um, uh, in general? So, um, so I think the 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 trust factor's got to be in, incorporated as well into the ways that we not only measure our success but demonstrate our our, our value. And you know, typically that comes to the fore during. Um, periods of um, crisis or um, uh, when we are experiencing um, severe weather events, for example, uh, during the uh, pandemic and um, and other types of uh, um, highly abnormal situations where um, it's not about entertainment anymore, it's about trusted information that um, we know we can go to um, a source such as RNZ and get it there. So I think that, that, that's another um, um, measurement of, of value that's provided. Um, one could argue trust is very um, subjective and, and how do you measure it? And, and you know, we tend to to look at uh, independent organisations um, uh, such as the AUT Journalism um, um, School and and the independent studies they, they do. But um, uh, for us, it's, it's about... Um, um, uh, having a, a, a significant audience, but also an audience that um, trusts um, uh, in what we um, um, disseminate. So part of the reason that, that we're, we're chatting today is because you have a connection to Omedia, which mm. is the um, presenting sponsor of this podcast. And I remember I had Nick Bile, the, the GM of O, on, on this, and he spoke quite... Um, you know, insightfully about the way that the that organisation has has engaged with with you and is is attempting to figure out a way for you know what is fundamentally out of home advertising mm. um, and you know you could imagine that until fairly recently they wouldn't have even considered mm. um, the relationship to Te Ao Māori or to Mana Whenua to be of particular import, but. Uh, it does feel like it's something that's kind of got its hooks into him and to the organisation. Do you want to just talk a bit about that engagement and about how your, you know, with your consultancy hat on, you've been, you know, you've engaged with different media organisations and got them to kind of 
come along on the on the journey to to a more kind of fully realised um, sense of partnership. Certainly, yeah. Uh, well, since uh, twenty eighteen and, and um, moving from my final executive role, I, I was always committed to being part of a process of um, connecting um, mainstream governance uh, with um, Māori governance and being an interface or a conduit um, to uh, demystify, to translate, to explain some of the um, core differences in that area. So uh, so my own um, uh, humble Māori development consultancy could make the solutions and uh, um, has been operating that space, uh, working with um, a number of um, our central government clients, our local government um, um, organisations such as Auckland Unlimited and um, and Crown entities such as um, the ACC and and um, uh, EQC, uh, the Earthquake Commission. Um, however, what we've noticed over the last two years is that there's there's been virtually a tsunami of um, uh, interest from private sector entities that are saying. Uh, we need to better understand uh, the Māori economy, Māori businesses, um, Māori governance. Uh, we need to understand um, uh, why this is actually important. Um, and to give you an example, we're working with a large um, um, uh, facilities management organisation that have been cleaning um, Ministry of Education buildings for decades and um, and. Uh, they had one of their long-term contracts at risk because they were asked what their position was on Te Titi or Waitangi and uh, what their cultural competency levels were. And so um, and they um, have just seen a different um, set of expectations now, particularly from government um, 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 businesses they're working with, organisations, I should say. So uh, bringing this back to O-Media, um, uh, O-Media is going through a a similar process of um, wanting to more strongly identify the unique uh, heritage of New Zealand in, in their organisation. Uh, they deal with um, mana whenua entities. Uh, they are being asked um, uh, to be able to demonstrate their cultural uh, capability, depth, understanding, and generally credentials. Uh, but I also think that within the organisation, there's a desire to um, uh, to just be a great New Zealand business and to um, understand what that actually means and to be prepared to um, um, challenge themselves uh, in going to realms that uh, would not normally be an er- a area of comfort for them. So... Um, they also have something that, that I never um, take for granted with any client, and that's um, they have a willingness to do the right thing. And um, some people are rather cynical about it, but I think it's 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 a almost a prerequisite. If you're going to do something, do it with authenticity, with commitment, uh, with a genuine intent, and uh, and that's what I see with the people at O Media. Yeah, you can kind of you can. You know it when you see it. Mm, that's right. Yeah. Thank you so much for for coming on the fold today, Jim. You've got such a, an amazingly varied and uh, career, and and the views that you have in on these these organisations is fascinating. So yeah, really appreciate you coming out. Kia ora, Duncan. Ngā mihi nui kia Thank you very much for the opportunity. Kia ora. 
That was The Fold, brought to you by our partners at O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Huge thanks to O Media for sponsoring this episode of The Fold and enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Kia ora e te iwi, te aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.